0: Surprise round, Damien. <laughs>
1: okay, welcome I'm ready. to the Money
0: Shot podcast. Oh, I'm where on, we well, t- I
1: was talking over you then, so don't do that. No, carry it on.
0: Take a look at what's being going on in the business news. Review the strategy behind it and see how you can apply it to your business.
1: I'm excited. What's this surprise round about then? This surprise
0: round is about. Something happened this week at work.
1: Hmm. Are we allowed to talk about this? Yeah, it is.
0: So, uh, one of my many things I look after is the publishing group, uh, where we we publish a bunch of magazines around uh, computers and computer-related frappery.
1: And some photography.
0: No, I got rid of that magazine. (laughs) That one's dead. (laughs) No more magazine about that. But... We have a magazine called Wireframe and it's about mm-hmm. computer game design.
1: I've seen that one. Yeah.
0: Now, it's struggling a bit at the moment. No. Not because it's good, not good, but because it's sort of trying to find its audience and okay. trying to get content in front of people. Now, we had a big, long discussion uh, today about it and how we get get it in front of other people. Yeah. And the argument came down to, well, if we put more main more widely watched or widely um viewed games gonna so mm-hmm. put more on a list game on it yeah and got an interview with someone from that they mm-hmm. would go and say hey i was in wireframe you should listen or watch or buy the magazine yeah and then the argument came which was well we designed you know the the editor, the sort of the publishing director said well, well the whole point is of it we made this magazine not to cover A-list games. Covered it, we made it to cover sort of indie game development, mm. which by its very nature is, is less. He's an A-list. Yeah. Uh, and he was very worried about affecting the creative element of it for commercialism. Okay. So I th- the thing we should explore is sort of the, the juxtaposition of art versus business. Which is, you know, you could make a single thing for a niche on its own yep. and it'd be an incredible thing for a niche, but very much... Yeah.
1: But not commercial. But not commercial.
0: Or you can make something very commercial, which is much like to appeal to everyone, but not be particularly creative. And let's be fair, there's lots of things that have done one and the other. Yeah, there's incredibly successful niche things and there's incredibly artistic commercial things yeah so we're not saying that you can't have one without the other but there well, is. that's a, the holy grail there is a a friction in there mm-hmm. and perhaps we could explore that and see how it could be applied to other businesses let's so in your experience have you ever come across something that you think has been over commercialized no. As a form of art. So you're happy with
1: it. <laughs> No, I think... Because I, I have zero creativity. So I am definitely... Says a man
0: recording his own podcast. Has a YouTube channel.
1: You know, you're a creative person. I mean, it's not creative. It's content. It's content production, I'd say. It has not content creation. Okay. Probably like a semantic thing there. But like, you know, our podcasts are brilliant from a content perspective... But it's not like we've got super slick intros. I do um, the I do the intro for us. They are shit. <laughs> so, you know. Right. Not creative. <laughs>
0: it's good to know how you feel about this whole thing now.
1: <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Not that creative. Yeah.
0: I actually said to Jenny, oh, I just really love to have a creative output finally. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. Don't we'll listen to this your episode, creation. Jenny. <laughs> From now on, you're doing the intro. (laughs) But, well, no, I don't see that as creative. And maybe it's just my warped view of I still see creatives as, you know, art and literature and fancy pants, historic perspectives of, oh, you write music, therefore you're creative. Right. Not, you do a business thing, that's creative. It's like, no, it's not, that's a business thing, that's commercial. So maybe I just have a a different sense of that's creative, that's not. So... I forget what my point is because I've now finished two bottles of rum. But in my experience, I'm definitely sat more in the camp than I think you are of the commercial capitalist side rather than the more creative. And if you remember a few years back, a certain young lady that wrote books mm-hmm. that I was familiar with, what <laughs> We're calling it that nowadays um but one of the things we discussed was the commercial commercialization of her art mm. and how you can go about and i was i suppose I was talking about marketing techniques from my world that you could implement in her world to increase sales build audiences et cetera et cetera and it was something that she was very much against because she was massively deeply seated in the creative space, not the commercial yeah So I agree with you in that for it to be successful, I think you need to merge the two and there needs to be a degree of compromise on both parts. So in your example of we've got this niche creative editor, but you've then got a person paying the bills that just wants to make money. Neither party can win. No. I don't think in that the editor needs to be like, oh, okay, fine, we're going to do 80% our whatever our niche was indie games B game whatever it is you call them I don't know How, did I just call them all B games is that yeah, bad is. <laughs> shit games that nobody plays we're like oh it's indie it's fine um, go on
0: that's not an unfair okay good. summation of it which is because if if they weren't in if they were played by everyone they wouldn't be indie games
1: and the ones that are played by everyone are good games
0: well uh, I mean, I think it is it is tricky because you're trying to appeal to a very committed small audience small audit but who very, know their own opinion quite well.
1: And are also very diverse because they're very committed to one particularly low-subscription game. But you need to appeal to, like, ten different low-subscription games who all have very specific views on, well, yeah, you should only talk about this because all games should be 2D platform games, and they're the only true games out there. Like, oh, yeah, okay, cool, we're going to cater to you. But also, those guys over there, that just like, I don't know, that weird tennis game, Pong, was it called?
0: The world's oldest computer game. (laughs) Yes, okay.
1: What was it called?
0: Just bringing back Pong.
1: Yeah, Pong! Was it? Yeah, okay. I don't fucking know. (laughs) Pewter nerd. Um, (laughs) 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 So... But yeah, you have to then appeal to that small niche as well. Pretty sure I forgot my point but, but there, because you mocked me for punk.
0: Well, uh, the, the the thing we buttered up against today, which yeah. is... Um, it, it's probably a bit of a generalisation, so don't come at me. But it was like that one of the things we do is like, well, we feature this person on the front cover. It's amazing. You know, we've got an amazing front cover of this magazine, and it's great. And it's of a uh, thing that's highly regarded. And mm. we go to the team that have done it. Like, So we say like, hey, we're going to put your game on the front cover. It's going to be amazing. And they go, great, that's really lovely. Thank you so much. And they go, but but, but you know, part of this unspoken contract is when that magazine comes out, you need to
1: Can you promote push the fact it hard on your channels.
0: And they do do it, but then you realise that these channels have like very little track <laughs> you know that's quite small
1: yeah who likes a game and then follows the developers of that game unless you are Blizzard or Activism are the only ones yeah. I can think of um, I mean there's a lot of game designers in Cambridge Is Jagex are they a game company? they are yeah. okay what do they do they made like a sort of
0: incredibly successful game
1: that we can't remember the name of
0: but it was one of those ones where you're like, how is this still going? Minecraft. We It's sort of like that kind of level. Where you're like, it's a bit basic looking. Like, it wasn't like a A AAA game, which is like, yeah. oh my God, that looks like um, Goals and House Cards.
1: Kevin Spacey? Kevin
0: Spacey. Like, it looks like Kevin Spacey's being shitty to me in Call of Duty. Because yeah. that was like, whoa. It's not that. And it is a bit like, oh, it's a bit basic. But what it is not is about like, crazy, crazy graphics. It's about sort of the game. The actual game. Mechanics right. and all this kind of thing. And like I completely get that. Yeah. Um but they they had this game. That's what Jagex mainly made their money out of. Was one of those games you're like, is this still alive? <laughs> How is that still a thing? <laughs> it's Angry like birds? I feel like it was like Ultimate Online except different. You know, like one of those kind of games where people get a bit too involved.
1: Yeah, like Elder Scrolls. That was a big one. No. I think I played it once. I didn't know it was happening. I but got stuck one, in a tree.
0: But it's one of those games where they're like they've been making the same game for 10 years and what they're basically doing is like keeping the servers alive. <laughs> you know, <they're> like <laughs> I mean the people are still to these employee no. people to you know try and come up with the next one.
1: So far 10 years later not so much. Yeah. But yeah, so if you've got trying to appeal to the niches I think that's fine if you are a hobby business as soon as you accept or want to be a real business, there has to be a degree of effectively selling out and be like, yeah, okay, cool. If we want to talk about that Sticks and Stones game, which oh, we think is super classic and it's actually really brilliant, you need to put Call of Duty on the front cover to get anybody to buy this magazine. Yeah, And what that balance ends up being, I think dictates where you position yourself as a magazine or a company or whatever it might be. So how do we convert this to smaller businesses? I guess it's you. You know, for, as a business, when you certainly started out, you can't be all things to all people. You have to have a niche. Yeah, you have to. You be, have to get true fans. You have yeah. to be. Hey, everyone who really likes this very small specific thing, I'm the person for you.
0: When you want to grow more, I mean, you're exactly right with like the thousand true fan thing rings really perfectly. Is like we basically hit that with that magazine. It's like we've got a thousand true subscribers,
1: and that's about it. And yeah. kind of, literally that's all
0: we've got well, we kind of hit that number and then the question is well this needs to get this needs to either like monetize those thousand fans a lot more yeah. or needs to grow to 5,000 fans who probably aren't as engrossed and uh, we'll 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 come on to it later but you know this idea of like how do you work out where your market is like one of the questions I asked today was like, have we found everyone? Have we found everyone who genuinely wants to read a magazine about this topic? Mm. And like, maybe that's why we're struggling. It's like, there's not actually that many more people that are into magazines, but also game design and want a recurring subscription to that thing.
1: Yeah, very specific. How, do you, how do you
0: argue those points? You know, how yeah. do you say, no, there's another 5,000 people out there. It's quite a tricky... Thing
1: to, And also, as you say, it's like, yeah, we've got a thousand true fans. There's a definitely a business there. But is it sufficient to sit within a larger corporate structure that you are sat in yeah. and be like, cool, as a cost center, you're not worth having because you're just too expensive. You're not making any profit. But if we just spin this off, so if you effectively said, you know, I'm not suggesting you do this, but if you said to your editor, look, mate, we'll let you keep the title, piss off. You've got nothing to do with my company anymore. And yeah, you're probably going to end up doing it as an online digital version or a print-on-demand if anyone wants the physical thing. It's enough of a business for you to have as a lifestyle business, but you actually need to be the editor and the writer and also the salesperson for all the advertising. It's not big enough to warrant being part of a company.
0: So maybe that's a good takeaway, which is that those truly artistic, creative endeavors are very good to do on your own. Mm -hmm. Because you kind of are okay with those absorbed costs. But maybe there is a um, realisation that you have to have with your small business at that point, which is I'm never going to be able to sell this to someone else because without me, it dies. And also, no one's willing to accept this level of return on what's being put in. And the whole point of it is it's an artistic creative thing which is the value there's there's no denying the value and we're not saying there's no but commercially no one can um work out a return on capital thing here where if like what if i put a million pounds into this will it produce it's not scalable you know (laughs) yeah
1: and i suppose that's do you have to accept what's the biggest niche company you can think of that's very niche, that hasn't started as a niche, but then tried to... Because I was was just thinking of like protein supplements and stuff like that. They are massive businesses, but they started off very much as if you're a bodybuilder, you need to take protein, creatine, amino acids. That's a thing. Super niche. But then they've extended and expanded and increased their audience to be like, oh, anyone who does any sort of health and fitness, you should have some protein. And they've grown exponentially because they've widened their audience. What's the biggest company, or can you think of any, well, it that may have be... stayed very true to their super specific tiny niche and has actually grown into a large scalable business?
0: Well, we talked about this earlier. Um, for HIMSS, any podcast listener will know them. They, they advertise like erectile defun- dysfunction and um, baldness stuff. Mm-hmm. And they've done that for, very well for the past few years. And they just floated through a SPAC. Um, and... They're now talking about being this kind of boutique um, telemedicine tele- health company, and it's all bollocks because as we as we talked about, like they're no, they're never not going to do just dick pills and hair loss, and like that's, that's actually what they're going to do, and they'll never make money out of anything else. But they're desperate to try and pretend to be.
1: But also from their marketing, as you said, it is a very specific small niche. Hopefully small. I don't know. Well, not anymore. Now that they've taken. The dick- well, yeah, exactly, yeah. The massive now, massive and throbbing niche. <laughs> but they they do need to take another <laughs> <laughs> great recurring revenue model. But no, it's a small niche that genuinely has erectile dysfunction. I don't know what the percentages are, but let's assume, let's hope it's a small niche. But through their advertising and their marketing, they've tried to position themselves as well. Actually, no, everybody, as you said, with the bald thing, is like, oh well, if you've experienced any thinning, you it's too late. You need to start taking these pills.
0: I didn't personally say that, listeners. You the, told me to. No, their adverts <laughs> say that. No, I'm, not, I'm not. It's definitely I'm not, I'm too not, late uh, for me.
1: <laughs> well, hair loss people. Hair, hair loss. <laughs>
0: Penis is fine.
1: <laughs> Don't say that with authority. <laughs> I'm just backing you. <laughs> Cheers, but no, they've taken something that is very niche, and through their marketing, they've tried to make it more mainstream so that they can scale. Yeah. And that's what we were saying. If you can convince enough mid-20s to mid-40s people like, oh, you know, maybe you haven't got erectile dysfunction, but if you take these pills, you definitely won't, then you can kind of get them hooked on it. And that's a massive audience. So it's gone from a niche of people who actually genuinely need it to a bunch of recreational users effectively. Yeah. That's your scaling up. I can't think of... The other ones I was thinking of was Beyond Meat, like the vegan meat substitute people. Very niche... Vegan only or vegetarian, I suppose. I don't, I know the difference, Pretty but I don't sure really know the vegan. difference. Vegan. I bet
0: there's a lot of grubbiness in there that feels like it. What, anyway. beyond meat? Yeah. You reckon?
1: I mean, I know it's nothing about up them. There's
0: something in there.
1: Fair enough. Let's assume there's still horse hooves in there or something. Yeah. But no, they've gone from a very small niche of the population that is vegan, and now vegans become less niche. And they're trying to advertise themselves to more well, vegetarians as well. And people who are just trying to look for a healthier diet and reduce your cholesterol and blah, blah, blah. They've tried to de-niche now that they've got to a scale that they need to scale even further to warrant being a business. So is that the takeaway conclusion? Start off as a niche, but always have a mind on how can I expand this? If there's no way to expand that niche that you're in, that's fine. You can still have a pretty successful business that can still be worth probably in the millions, but it's probably going to be limited to that if you can't expand your audience to other segments of whatever target audience you've got.
0: I think that's a very good takeaway. Excellent. Take it away then. Thanks for listening to the Money Shop Podcast. Join us again next time for more strategies for your business.